Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. I've tried to orient lifestyle and, and investing to be a pair in that sense. In fact, a lot of the investing I'm doing is it has a lifestyle perk to it, right? And it is a bit of an adventure to it. So it's not strictly the gain or the cash flow, but it's it's how can I build a lifestyle around investing and have fun while doing it and have some adventure. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm speaking with Sam Marks. At the age of 24, after some early setbacks, including four arrests while in college, Sam moved from the US to the UK and founded the e-cigarette company SkySig. He bootstrapped the company initially out of the back of a rental car and grew it into Europe's largest e-cig brand in only four years. In 2013, the business was acquired for $100 million. Sam had all this money, but no idea what to do with it. He gave 40% of the earnings from the sale of his business to a financial advisory team to manage, later realizing that they were losing him money, even when the markets were up. 
He felt manipulated, duped, and frustrated by the entire process. He decided it was time to take control of his money. Despite having zero investing experience, he started the Invest Like a Boss podcast so he could interview and learn from the most experienced investors in the world while also passing that knowledge on to others. Sam is now an angel investor, serial entrepreneur, and his investment portfolio includes 400 self-storage units in Hong Kong, a microbrewery in Australia, rental properties across Thailand, and several early-stage startups. He also visited more than 100 companies while living off passive income and pursuing his bucket list. In our conversation, you'll learn about Sam's entrepreneurial journey, what it was like to negotiate and secure a $100 million acquisition deal, and the passive income investments that allow him to travel the world and live life on his terms. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Sam has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. He's giving away a free report outlining his top 10 tips for stock investing. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 59. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Sam Marks. Well, Sam, I'm so excited to get a chance to hang out with you. This has been a long time coming because we've got a mutual friend in Brian Rabbit, who's part of our mastermind, Lifestyle Investor Mastermind. And he's like, you guys just have to connect. You'll be two peas in a pod. And he couldn't have been more correct. I've just had so much fun getting to know you, recording the show on your podcast, Invest Like a Boss, and can't wait to get into your story. (laughs) Man. I'm having too much fun. We can go. We can go for a long time, Justin. But I uh, appreciate it. It's been great catching up with you already because we just did a, a recording on my podcast, like you said. But I uh, just wanted to tip my hat to you because of all the all the great work that you're doing and the community that you're bringing together and education you're bringing out for for investing. This is really important, but also really fun stuff to talk about. Well, thank you, Sam. And quite frankly, I should be thanking you for all the stuff you're doing because I love in your podcast how you basically are like, hey, you and Johnny, you're like, hey, we don't know. I remember your very first episode. I'm a huge fan of your show. In your very first episode, you're like, well, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to just create this podcast and we're going to walk you through what we end up doing. And I just think it's a, a really cool strategy and way to one, learn on your part and two, educate other people who are along for the ride. So <laughs> you've been doing an awesome, awesome job. Yeah, I appreciate it. In hindsight, looking back and saying, uh, we're going to start an investing podcast with zero investing experience. Sounds a little nutty, but I'm certainly glad that we did the venture. No kidding. Hey, you guys pulled it off and it was awesome. Now, I know that it hasn't always been easy, but Before we get to that, I think it'd be really fun to hear about some of your story of when your life wasn't easy, right? Because uh, didn't you go to Florida State? Yeah. I think uh, you went to FSU, right? And Mm -hmm. I remember you saying that you had a bunch of setbacks. We're going to call them setbacks, some some minor (laughs) situations, maybe run-ins with the law. A few run-ins with the trials with the uh, judicial system of the state of Florida. (laughs) <laughs> so what ended up happening? How did you... I'm curious on the story of like, hey, stuff was maybe not going the way that you wanted it to, to it's going in a much better direction to like, hey, things are... We're crushing it now. So I, I want to 
peel the layers back and kind of get into your mind of, of what's going on? Yeah, man. Well, we, I went to Florida State. I was, uh, that was the only school in Florida I got accepted to. Actually, uh, Brian Rabbit, you already mentioned, was a fraternity brother of mine. And I joined a fraternity called Phi Sigma Kappa. And it was a group of basically South Florida kids who were all like fun-loving halfway jocks, like wannabe jocks. But we're, you know, we were basically partiers, like fun guys through the fraternity somehow ended up getting this, this business spirit to us. Right. And you, you had mentioned, you know, we had talked about your experience in Cutco and a lot of us in high school were doing Cutco. I mean, there's probably of a fraternity of 70, 80 kids, I would say at least 25, 30 of them had experience in Cutco. Wow. So I think we carried a lot of that, that kind of hustle into college because we were doing Cutco primarily at the end of high school, carry that hustle into college. So we were always, we were always in there like scheming on ways to try to make money. And it was sort of the advent of the, of the internet. And so we we're looking at this new frontier really. And so we, you know, we had this really, this mixed uh, criteria of like party sports, try to make money, like this big cycle. And the, the party side kind of caught up to us a bit, you know, and, <laughs> and I had a few run-ins with the FSUPD. I mean, totally nonviolent crimes. <laughs> I say that halfway joking, but it was, yeah, I would like go out to bars and there'd be police officers dressed in Abercrombie and Fitch that were like 24 years old and they'd strike up conversations with you. And then five minutes later, they pulled a badge and um, they're asking for UID. And of course, the only idea I have on me is fake. So I'm like underage drinking, fake ID, go to jail. But that actually happened to me five times when I was a freshman. I got arrested three times for underage drinking, fake ID, criminal mischief, which was literally just me breaking a window at my dorm and the police coming in and arresting me. So like a bunch of ridiculous arrests, which more or less, not, not to making excuses, but basically everyone does the same type of activity in college. I just happened to get caught for it. And it really was, the first one was funny because I got arrested literally, Justin, 15 minutes from when my parents hugged me my freshman summer and said, <laughs> goodbye, son, we love you. We're here to support you. We know you do well. And I waved them off and I turned, turned around and saw a buddy that I knew from like high school. I didn't know it was going to Florida State. And he's like, hey, Sam, you know, come over here. Hey, man, I got, a, I, got a, I got some beers. You want a beer? I'm like, yeah, I want a beer. We crack the beer and then we like walk outside and there's a police officer standing right there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in high school, that would happen at parties and they would just be like, hey, guys, like you have a safe ride home. You're like, yeah. And they'd be cool. And then college, they're just like, you're getting arrested. So yeah, that was college for me. I ended up with five or no, actually six arrests during college. And it was, yeah, it was, I say it laughing now, but my freshman year, by the end of that year, I was like, this is really bad. You know, I was scared to like go out. I, I thought it was so jinxed. I was afraid to go outside and cross the street. I'm like, I'm going to get arrested for doing something like that, you know? So it's really psychologically burdensome on me. But in hindsight, I was able to take that, redirect my energy into really productive things. No kidding. So, I mean, first of all, I feel like most people are doing what you're doing. Like you said, not getting caught. I get someone getting caught, but six times? I mean, that is some bad luck, Sam. Goodness gracious. You know, whoever's pulling my strings up there in the simulations, just like, listen, man, you need to be doing X and you're messing around. So... <laughs> I'm going to keep you in check quick. This isn't going to be like 
this 30 year delay, it's going to be like, boom, now you need to reckon. <laughs> so you are a world traveler. Yeah, I, I love mm-hmm. traveling. I've been to 76 different countries. You, I believe, have been to over 100. Mm-hmm. And this started early on in life because after college, I believe you moved to the UK. Is that right? That's correct. But it happened actually before that, because after this, this troublesome freshman year, I was 19 and I was not having a type of college experience that it was, was enjoyable at all. Like I was hiding behind closed doors and all my friends were going out partying and I just wasn't able to participate. And so I got the opportunity to go to Switzerland and I looked up the drinking age and it was 18. So I'm like, wow, <laughs> happy days. No arrest. Arbitrage. So I was able to, instead of buying a car, like all my friends were doing, I was like, I'm going to put that towards studying abroad. So I went over to Switzerland and that actually really opened my eyes to opportunities abroad. Cause I realized even in Switzerland, I was like, wow, they're just backwards, man. Like, why is there not Walmart here? Why is there not all these services? Right. A little bit naive, but it made me enjoy being outside the US so much and see opportunity. And so that's what really... I wouldn't have ever ended up in the UK out of college if I hadn't had that experience of studying abroad. That's awesome. What a cool experience early on. And so Mm. you're in the UK, you graduated. Did you go there because you wanted to go there? Did you go there for an opportunity? Because you started a, a company, an electric cigarette company prior to you know mm-hmm. that being a norm. Like today, that's a norm. When you started it, that was not a norm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. After the arrest, I realized that there was no way I was ever going to get a job. And so I had, to, I had to figure out how to start a business. And I'll yada yada over this pretty quickly. But my sophomore year, I decided to, to start a social networking site in college. This was 2003, 2004. So early on in the internet. And that did fairly well. And I was able to, to do a deal my senior year of college with a guy that basically, basically more or less bought it, but it was sort of like a licensing deal. And that kind of gave me a bit of, of spirit as an entrepreneur. After that, I did different odd jobs. I mean, I did like the, the true hustle stuff of like road construction at 5 a.m. in the morning on the, on the side of I-95 to make ends meet. But I was always, I was always dabbling in, in the internet space and trying to figure out how to make money. And that led me into doing affiliate marketing and learning how to market online products really, really effectively in the early days and, and start making some serious commissions. In fact, our mutual friend, Brian Rabbit, and I, uh, I was living with him in an apartment downtown West Palm Beach. And I can remember I was like making, I was making like $100 a day doing affiliate marketing. And all of a sudden, like two weeks later, I was making like $5,000 a day. And then like two weeks later, I was making like $30,000 a day. And I'm, <laughs> I'm living in this like shared $300 a month apartment. And I'm so superstitious that I'm just like, I'm not leaving my room because I'm just, I'm refreshing the stats like every three seconds, like new sale, new sale, new sale, new sale. And uh, money was just pouring in. And then like once a week, I'd go out and just like let loose and like buy bottles at a club and stuff. And it was so fun. But through that experience, I learned that, okay, I can market certain products really, really effectively online. And when e-cigarettes came out, I was actually out in a conference in Las Vegas. And one of the very first e-cigarettes that was ever manufactured, the guy that made it and actually invented the e-cigarette was a guy from China. And he was there with it. And he barely spoke any English. And he came and he knew that we were really good at marketing. He's like, hey, here's my product. Can you sell it? And I looked at this thing and I tried it. And I thought, well, I'm actually really good at marketing healthcare products. 
if this thing could be just a little bit better, taste better, and have a better design, man, I bet I bet tobacco smokers would would use that. And so that's where the idea of starting like an e-cigarette business came from. And this was before there was really any e-cigarettes on the market. But how I ended up in the UK was because we took a look around online and and of the entire world, the best, most established product was in the US and they were still very small. But we said, okay, they have some pretty good trajectory, pretty good momentum. Let's just take the next best market. Why compete here? Take the next best market. At age 24, 25, I said, let's launch this business in the UK. I've never been there. Sounds like an adventure. And that's how it started. I flew to the UK. I had a bunch of product from China shipped over to me, met me in London. And uh, I started a road tour around the UK with product in the back of a hatchback. Yeah. So first of all, I admire your ability to just leave the comfort of everything you know to start a company that you hope will make it in a market that you've never been to. I mean, that's just incredible. I love it. It's very inspiring. And what's cool about your story is we get to celebrate one that did make it, that that went the full cycle. So you're literally like living out of a car, selling product from a car. And four years later, you get acquired by one of the largest in the space, what becomes the largest in all of the UK, right? Yeah, it was an incredible experience. Day one to year four, I mean, it all happened very quick. We never had venture capital, but it literally started out of living in a car, selling and marketing product out of a car, and that full cycle up to living in a hostel, (laughs) to our first office, to having an actual decent apartment and not living off bread and noodles, to hiring staff. And there were so many complications along the way, but it was just an incredible, incredible ride. And and like the second part of that business was actually going to China and starting uh, our own manufacturing facility in China. And that was, that was even a more interesting experience than the Britain experience of just being over in China in, in 2009, 2010, when like nobody was there and starting that manufacturing, we ended up having 400 employees there. And like only one of them spoke English and yeah, just like the experience of living at the factory and hanging out with these people and like how fast innovation and production happens there. It's just mind boggling. But Justin, ever since I got out of that business, I've been on a path of trying to figure out how to replace the thrill of, of that those four years and I haven't found it yet. So it is kind of fun to talk about it, remember it. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I'm glad that we can reminisce because the amount of value you were able to create in such a short period of time, I mean, four years, uh, I mean, that's incredible. So you you sold uh, SkySig to a publicly traded company Mm -hmm. for $100 million. That's an incredible exit. Over the course of four years, you're living so cheaply, right? You're totally like pinching pennies. Mm-hmm. In some cases, unsure early on, like, oh, is this real? Is this affiliate marketing? Is, is it, am I going to keep getting paychecks? I'm going to keep living in a $300 apartment to living in a car until you upgrade to the hostel, then upgrade to an apartment to now having $100 million. I'd love to hear what that was like, that experience. Well, the negotiation was pretty grueling. The actual sales cycle was pretty grueling. We had two companies that were were basically bidding on us, but both of them almost fell out at the last minute and we were have, starting to have cash flow issues. And, and I think maybe just the fact that I had been 
<laughs> testing e-cigarettes like nonstop for four years. My body was like over nicotined out, for lack of better words. I was pretty burnt out at that point. I was I was flying back and forth from China to Edinburgh like every two weeks and basically living at factories. And still at that point, I was like living off basically nothing, just investing everything back into the business. But I was 28 when that, that whole thing happened. So it was, it was sort of surreal. It was an experience I'd never had before going through any type of sales process that big. You know, I was sitting across the table from the top six executives at Philip Morris and then the top six executives at, at Lori Lord and having to do these pretty hardened negotiations. So it was, it still is surreal to me. I ended up in the hospital for 10 days before closing. I think it was just literally because my body was so like burnt out and stressed out and didn't know how to handle like that type of pressure. Cause it was one of those things that was like, look, we're either going to get this deal done and that type of money is on the table or we're not. And this whole thing is probably going to fall apart and they're going to eat your lunch because there was no, there was no investing going into these companies. It was still way too gray. No one knew if, if tobacco was going to own it, pharmaceuticals going to own it or governments were just going to shut you down. And I woke up every single day not knowing what that future was going to look like. I woke up every single day thinking this can end tomorrow. And so I was always, I was always trying to get a deal done. And um, fortunately, we were able to, but it was, I was pretty strong at that age, but that it really took the life out of me. But man, what, a, what an incredible experience. The actual deal turned out to be 50% cash up front and 50% earnout. And the earnout was really straightforward. So we, we thought it was basically a lock, but literally the week after we completed the deal and got the first half in, we ended up in litigation with a, a superpower, more or less to say. So the earnout basically got frustrated pretty quick and the relationships between us and the buyer were not smooth from that point forward. So we did okay in the earnout, but we didn't get we didn't get that full allotment. But needless to say, we we still did very good. It was it was myself and three other partners for a 28-year-old was certainly life-changing money. No kidding. There's so many things I want to ask you about that experience because the way that it's like romanticized having this big exit and what you think it's going to be, what you see in the movies, what you maybe envision from your other friends or see on Facebook, you, you think it's going to be this unbelievable experience. But then when you actually have it, and I want to know what it's like for you too, but like you think it's going to be one thing and then it's kind of like, okay, what's next? <laughs> Did you have anything like that where it like felt so good, but then at a certain period of time, it's like a few days later, a week later, a month later, it's like, uh, okay, this is, you know, so I got some extra digits in the bank account. It was almost, I hate to be a spoiler, but it was almost all negative <sighs> from day one. It really was, it was not good for me because I, I was in the hospital building up to that. So I had no energy basically when we signed. I woke up in the hospital. I saw the headline in the news. So I knew the deal was done because I went to sleep with like the paper signed, but we weren't sure if they were going to back out. And I'm like, I signed, I'm done. Like I'm going to sleep. I woke up, saw it in the news. And then the next day the money was, was in the account. So it was like bang, bang. And then for me, Justin, it was like, I was, I had built this thing from the hatchback with product in the car, like over there, just on this wild adventure. And I had this nucleus, the company and the team that we built was like all I was 24 to 28 during that time. And the entire team was like, you know, 22 to, to 24. So it was like this, almost like a fraternity that was just going to war every single day, like building this thing. No one had experience. We were just like, we were just in there, all energy, motivation, and ambition. 
And it was such a like an in- incredibly dynamic and ambitious place to go to work every day. Like I hated the weekends, just wanted to be in the office with everybody. But when we did the deal, part of the deal was like, hey, I, I'm going to go finish up manufacturing. and I'm done. Like two, three months, I'm done. And the light switch was on. And when we did the deal, the light switch was off. And like literally that week, it was like, I'm not needed. I was like, how am I not needed? <laughs> like, <laughs> Of course I'm needed. No, I'm not needed. And it was this massive void because at the age 28, all of my friends were working. None of them were traveling. Everyone's on the on the ground trying to get there, and I had this, I was just faced with this reality that like my life, I was a hundred percent invested and committed. My entire life was this business. I had nothing else going on. I didn't even date girls for three years because I just was putting everything, every bit of attention in the business, and then it was over. So you know, I immediately tried to replace that with uh, angel investing and massive traveling and going out to bars every night and bars in the day, (laughs) (laughs) whatever I could to keep my mind off like the void. And it was actually, it was a very, very difficult time for me. Very difficult 18 months. And to some degree, it's like I said, it's been very difficult to replace that, the whole experience, man. So good. Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my online course. As a listener, you probably know my story. In under two years, I had multiplied my net worth to over eight figures and my investments were generating enough passive income for my wife and me to quit our jobs. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to accomplish this in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. My methods are unconventional. But I've always wanted to share my strategies and help as many people as possible accomplish financial freedom. And while the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor course, a roadmap for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of lifestyle investing. Anyone can use my system, no matter what level they're at in their investing career. So if you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple to follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, thank you just for being super vulnerable, Sam, and for your your Mm -hmm. honesty here on this because... What I want people to understand is that we glamorize this thing that may not need to be glamorized, right? So Mm -hmm. having a big, massive exit isn't always what people make it out to be. And having an increase in an influx of income, though it sounds great, it comes with another set of problems and issues and things that you need to work through. And I think most people don't realize that the majority of deals when when there's an exit happen with some form of earnout. So you hear this big number, it's whatever number, but that's including this future money that hasn't been paid yet, may never get paid, might be tied to certain metrics that you have to hit in order to get paid, might be over four years, sometimes even more. And so... I like hearing the real deal on this. And then I think it's also just so important to know that for people to know that 
if you think that a big lump sum of money is the answer to whatever your problems are, it's not. In fact, it can actually be the opposite and make it even worse. And so it's very interesting hearing your journey here. And unfortunately, I've heard this before from a lot of people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I wish it was sweeter sometimes. Now, Mm -hmm. so what I'm curious about is like, when did you pivot to the podcast? How soon after this? Because you've exited, you've had a little bit of maybe unexpected type of circumstances, maybe not exactly what you envisioned for yourself after a big monster exit. Mm -hmm. When did you kind of get things back on track? When did you start feeling better? When did you start creating passion in your life again? I think the podcast has been huge for you in that regard, at least Mm -hmm. as an outsider, that's how I feel. Sure. And like, how did you use that as like an educational piece for the next chapter of your life and your professional journey as an investor, as opposed to an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it really was what I realized was it was all about the journey. All the highs of building the business were in fact building the business. And like you said, the payout at the end, it's almost like a paradox where I was like, I had this expectation that there's going to be a rainbow full of uh, happiness that just got <laughs> sewed into me and I would never look back. And that wasn't the case. So it really, it really took me for a, a bit of a spin. But Really what happened was during the business, I wasn't making much money, but I was literally living off the business. I had all my housing paid for, all my flights, literally almost all my food, almost everything in my life. So I was spending nothing out of my account. And then when we sold the business, all of a sudden I realized, I'm like, oh, damn, man, my like lifestyle is actually pretty damn expensive Like <laughs> when I start paying for everything. And like most people, or at least what I've come to know now that I've been doing the podcast for five, six years and, and been studying uh, investing is that I didn't know what to do. I was actually scared because I didn't know how to invest. I had zero income. And so what did I do? I I asked around who knows a financial advisor, someone knows how to manage money, had a quick introduction. And then I gave 40% of of what I had made in the, the windfall to a financial advisor. Didn't ask any questions, gave them complete discretion over my account. I don't know. You're the, you know, you're the expert. You make all the decisions. I don't want to approve things. You do what you think's best. And after you know two years, and this was kind of part of the down cycle, the music wasn't matching the words because I was looking at the stock market, which you know I was looking at the Dow Jones, and the Dow Jones was going up, and I'm looking at my account, and the account is kind of volatile and going down and or sideways. And over the course of two years, I think the market was up. The Dow Jones was up, say, twenty percent, and my account was flat, and I was still having to pay these these you know these tax bills at the end of each year because there was fixed income in my account but the most frustrating part was that i would go into these meetings with my financial adv- advisor and nothing made sense to me i felt like i was being manipulated i felt like i felt like i knew what was going on but they were s- saying something different i was very intimidated by the process of meeting with them in their corner office in their nice suits and uh, these old older gentlemen that were speaking all these words that i couldn't understand And I just thought to myself that this is no way to go through life, that I have to feel this vulnerability with my money. And I know I'm paying them something, some type of fee. Yeah, they say they're going to make me 8% and they're going to take 1%. Seems like a good deal, but they weren't making me 8%. And then the book Money Master of the Game came out by Tony Robbins. And that really just, it empowered me in a way to think, wow, I can figure this out, right? But investing was still very intimidating and it, for newbies, right? And especially with, with more money like that, I was like, I don't want to make a major mistake 
where I lose 30% of this because I literally may never forgive myself if I do that, right? But at the same time, I'm scrambling, Justin, because I have no income. And I'm like, I need a couple hundred thousand before tax just to pay my my expenses and the lifestyle that I want to live. So I thought, look, I know nothing about investing, but there's so many people out there that know nothing about investing. So this is when the best way to do it would be to start a podcast, force myself to learn by putting myself on stage in front of an audience with, with talented investors and making it look like I know, exi- you know something like I know what I'm talking about. And that was really the decision uh, to start the podcast. That's awesome. Well, I'm really glad that you started it. And it's so interesting to hear your story. There's definitely some similarities, some differences for sure, but so many similarities. And I like that you articulated your feelings around these money managers who definitely weren't helping you understand what they were doing. And one of the big issues I have with financial services in general And by the way, this is not everyone in financial services, but this Mm -hmm. is the majority of people in financial services and the majority of institutions, maybe all the institutions that (laughs) there's so much manipulation and misinformation that what's really happening is not what is promoted to be happening. And there's just overall misalignment. So it's promoted, they'll make you 8% and they make their 1%. But if you make no percent, they still make their 1% and then you made negative money right? You had a negative return. Mm -hmm. And I I don't like that. That just does not fit well. But you mentioned something else. And this is an interesting concept as well, because people envision often like, hey, how great would it feel if I had X million dollars? I would be set. But the reality is, if you can't figure out how to protect the principal and invest in things where you have interest coming, cash flow coming, then your principal is going to dwindle down into nothing in time. And so it's like this clock starts ticking. The moment you have an exit, it's like, oh, whoa, I got no income to support my life, like you said. But then your bank account is decreasing. There's like a a mental awakening and like hypersensitivity when you see dollars just decreasing, right? Yes. Yeah. And you got to like figure out how to put this to work and, and solve for this problem. And so and it is, it's an issue, but it creates a lot of stress. And I don't think people see the full picture of, of what that looks like. And, and so this is the power of having cash flow and buying assets so that these things don't happen. And I love that you're learning this along the way. Absolutely. Yep. So as you are going through this process, you're like, okay, hey, I'm going to start this podcast. I'm not an investor. So I'm going to start an investing podcast. I'm going to learn how to invest. I'm going to bring some people on. I'm going to educate others while educating myself. Totally brilliant. I absolutely love it. What are some of the best lessons that you've learned going from entrepreneur to investor? This could be specific investments. This could be principles. This can be, you know, whatever you want it to be. But like, what are the lessons that you feel like are real good foundational lessons for someone that maybe is transitioning from having a big exit into where you're getting your money to work for you? Yeah, I guess the same themes keep coming up for us. And if you look at our portfolios, or at least my portfolio, I'm very diversified. And, and this was kind of one of the my drivers, I guess, if you look at what I wanted to do. So I looked at, okay, what, what's actually my goal? My goal is, what's most people's financial goal? And most places you look, it'd be like, okay, generate enough passive income to be able to support your lifestyle. But I, I, did, I got to that point and I was, realized, well, this, this kind of sucks because now I feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. 
right? And then inf- inflation seems to be <laughs> actually decreasing my net wealth. So, so what's better is, yeah, I want to create enough passive income to be able to live my lifestyle while still increasing my net wealth and, and having a surplus, in fact, to be able to invest in really interesting things, whether lifestyle or investments. And so the, the second thing was like, I never wanted to lose money because I was, I was spending it down. And I made some mistakes early on. In fact, I think my advisors lost me money on the whole and it just sucked. And I was always that guy going to like casinos and the, the you know, losing $20 on blackjack was so much worse than like making the feeling of like making 50, right? It was just like, I don't like to lose. So I, I wanted to make sure I was diversified and like maintain my wealth. And then also I wanted to have, I want to have a lot of adventures along the way and have some lottery tickets. Cause I think for me, good investing is often boring investing, but it's such a, a big part of my life now that I want to make sure I have fun while I'm doing it. But when you think about like the first thing I needed to do was move my money out of out of the, the financial advisors, right? And that was that can be a very intimidating process, but it's actually super easy because most financial advisors are putting you just in a basket of six or seven mutual funds that are literally can be replicated very easily with Vanguard index funds. And so Money Master Game helped me do that. But some of the lessons there are like, you know, low fees are absolutely critical. You know, low fees, you don't want advisor fees because those are killer and usually are not productive, like 1%, 1.5%, but also mutual funds. There's a lot of mutual funds that can charge you 1%, 1.5%. But so between an advisor and a mutual fund fee, you can easily have 2 to 3% in fees. Now, if someone's making 8 or 9% a year, they might say, oh, that's whatever, it's fine. But no, that's, that's horrible. Like that, over the course of 10 years, that is massive amounts of money. So you want to keep fees absolutely, absolutely low. The second thing is like when it comes to stock equities and stuff, you never want to pick stocks. You always want to be diversified broadly. Very few people can beat the market by picking stocks, even the best, best money managers. It's a bad idea. Most people do it, including myself, because I just do it to have fun. But generally speaking, you're much, much better just to be the market. And historically, you're going to be fine if you're just, you're just the market. When I say the market, just the S&P 500 or a total stock market index. Another principle is is the best portfolio to own. Now you can you can go crazy with portfolio diversification, the perfect portfolio, and the all seasons portfolio, and you know everyone's got their perfect portfolio, and you can have a lot of fun trying to tailor made a portfolio that you think is going to be you know eight percent versus nine percent or ten percent versus nine percent. But ultimately, the best portfolio is the one that you can hold. If you're eighty percent stocks and twenty percent bonds, or you have gold or inflation protected indexes in their municipal bonds or whatever you have, you typically want to be majority stocks, but are you, you know, are you majority US, you majority international, you small cap, large cap, emerging markets? What really matters is sticking to something. And Fidelity did a big, a big uh, research project on this and they figured that the the most successful people, clients of theirs, were actually basically clients that died and no one had inherited that because that was the fund that no one touched because everyone wants to touch it. Oh, move money here. Take money out. Pause my account. Send me back some money. Invest a little more. No, you just want to keep it where it's at and you want to add to it. So there's some, some really like fundamental things that if you like just get right and you cement these learnings in the beginning, you stick to them and you don't make that major mistake, which is pulling money out in a down market or a bad time. If you can avoid that mistake, your chances to do well over the course of 10, 20, 30 years are very, very good. Yeah, those are great lessons and great habits. I love that you bring up Money Master the Game. I thought that was an incredible book and, and very eye-opening. 
really to kind of bringing into full circle into plain sight what is really happening. And like you, I lost money investing in conventional investment strategies in the stock market with money managers. The big rub I had, I mean, rub number one is I lost money, right? Rub number two (laughs) is that my average rate of return on my statement said that I made money. So it was this Mm. huge manipulation of like, well, averaged out, yeah. But actually, I lost money. I had a negative return, and my statement said that I had an average rate of return that was like 7 or 8%. It, It was just like the worst feeling in the world. I totally felt lied to and manipulated. And mm-hmm. that is an industry-wide issue there. You know, and there, by the way, yeah. there are great people that are in that space. I don't want to paint everyone out to be taken advantage of you. There, I've got a lot of friends in that space, but I think that they're the exception and and not the rule, unfortunately. One of the things I really admire about you, Sam, is you have been able to live an incredible lifestyle. And you've been able to do that because you're focused on, it's not completely nest egg. You're getting into this space where you're like, hey, let's create some cash flow. Let's get my money working for me. And I think that just even conventional financial education doesn't touch on the fact that we should be focused on cash flow much more than we're focused on net worth, or at least talked about evenly. You know, most people are focused on net worth and they have most of their net worth in either their main company that they own and run that they may not be able to sell because losing the founder, owner, operator of the company, often no one wants to pay for that. Right. Or it's like all in the stock market or, or maybe someone's, you know, doing more, I would call it risky, aggressive investing in like angel investments. And it's all focused on this net worth, which most people have like net worth that is totally not in reality. So it's like, oh yeah, my net worth is 5 million, 10 million, 1 million, 7, whatever it is, but there's no liquidity. It's all paper money. It's like, in theory, I have this much net worth, but really I don't until this company has an exit, right? Or you don't want to draw upon what's in the public markets because you are worried about not having the return that you could get. So even though it's liquid, it's not really liquid. That's right. <laughs> and so I just think that there needs to be more focus on cash flow and how to cover what it costs you today. And I, I love that you're doing that in your in your podcast. I love that you're doing that with your life. I love the adventures you're taking. I get, get to live vicariously through you with all the cool stuff you're doing. You're in Barcelona right now, uh, which is cool. You're leaving in a week to go somewhere else. Cool. Where else are you going on these adventures? And I'd love to hear some of the lifestyle because you are a lifestyle investor. You are at a point where you are investing your money and living a life without a job and doing some things that you're passionate about. Yeah, thanks, Justin. I mean, I appreciate that. I've tried to orient lifestyle and, and investing to be a pair in that sense. In fact, a lot of the investing I'm doing is it has a lifestyle perk to it, right? And it is a bit of an adventure to it. So it's not strictly the gain or the cash flow, but it's it's how can I build a lifestyle around investing and have fun while doing it and have some adventure. There's a book that was written that's called Adventure Capitalist that was extremely inspiring to me, uh, where the gentleman basically took a car and drove around like 80 countries and tried to make like an investment in every single country. And I think, you know, that there's a bit of that spirit in me. I love that book. Fantastic. You, book. Have you read it? Yeah. Okay. I forgot the author, actually. I just was to look it up. 
I'm drawing a blank on it too, but he's got like that yellow car, right? That he takes around. Yeah, yeah. Yellow Mercedes. Jim Rogers. Jim Rogers. There it is. Jim Rogers. Fantastic book. So, you know, I ended up in Asia after the deal and there's there's, there's a lot of stories there. Some of them are just kind of funny. Like I, you know, I was in Thailand looking for residential property investments and I ended up at a bar in Phuket and uh, with a property developer that was like 26 years old half Thai, half Belgian guy. And we're having mojitos and he all started start talking about his development. He was going to be building next door and the, the plot of land he owned. And here's the rendering. And I ended up just being like, have you sold any yet? He's like, no, I'm going to start selling them in three months. I'm like, what if I buy the first one right now? <laughs> and like, We end up shaking on it and he brings over a, a credit card terminal and I put down like five grand on my credit card right there and like work out a sweetheart of deal. And lo and behold, that thing got built on time. My unit was like the best unit, the best deal. And me and this guy are still like fantastic friends today. Now, that's just a terrible idea to do. But this is the fact that like that worked out. You know, sometimes those, those type of stories like build lifelong bonds. Mm. But I was in the, I was truly in a hunt for cash flow after, as the story develops. And I ended up in Hong Kong got introduced to a guy that did self-storage. Justin, I know you do a lot of self-storage. And I was walking around Hong Kong, just like seeing these self-storage units. I'm like, holy shit, man. This is like the best business in the world. Hong Kong real estate's insanely expensive. No one's got any space. Everyone lives in a shoebox. Like self-storage seems to be all types of market cycle proof. And uh, I just like basically chased this guy around for like a month. Like, dude, let me do a premise with you. Let's do it. Like, let's do it. Let's go get drinks. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Finally, he's like, dude, I don't want to expand the business more. I'm trying to like consolidate my life. And he's like, but if you want to really do one, I'll do it. It's hard to make money now. I used to make like 20% year over year, but now it's like more like seven, 8%. I'm like, dude, if you can guarantee me seven, 8% preferred a year paid out monthly, I'm in, let's do it. So we ended up doing one, then we ended up doing two. And like now me and this guy are also like super good friends. And I go to Hong Kong Whenever I have the chance, pre-COVID, I was going like two or three times a year to meet up. And you know, he's got 60 buildings. Uh, and then between he and I, we own like 500 self-storage units. But these type of things that like all materialized quite quickly because I was in such a hunt after the exit. And I have some, like, some fantastic... I would call these lifestyle investments because they give me an opportunity to visit places that I truly love and, and see people that I'm, I'm very good friends with. Oh, that is awesome. I just love that story. And I believe you interviewed him on your podcast because I, I remember hearing some of the story of, of your storage units in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. We've had Kevin Shea on a couple of times. Yeah, that's it. That's so cool. The last episode we recorded was actually in... We were in Iceland together just hanging out. That's right. And we were looking at Northern Lights uh, as they appeared. And we we're talking about how he built like his, his self-storage empire. It's really cool. Oh, it's so neat. Well, I got to just give you props again. Your podcast is one of my favorites. I think you guys do a great job. And I really want my audience to know that I just wholeheartedly endorse what you guys are doing. I just think it's incredible. And can you just let our audience know where they can learn more about you and more about Invest Like a Boss? Yeah. So thanks, Justin. I mean, Invest Like a Boss, it started basically as our personal journey. So I think we we chatted about on this episode that when we started, we had zero investing experience. And our goal was just to interview the best people we could get a hold of and to put our money where our mouth is. So typically after every episode, one of us is making an investment into something related to that episode. And then we share uh, we share the portfolios on our quarterly updates with our listeners. 
and it's really just a journey. We don't have anything to sell. It's it's more or less a hobby. You know, Justin and I were talking about this before how like podcasting is just such an awesome thing to do. I mean, just it's it educates us as much as the listeners, right? And so it's it's been a fantastic journey. We've been doing it for six years. We've got two hundred episodes in the bank, and uh, I hope I'm doing it five years from now because it's it never gets tiring. Yeah, it's so much fun. I I love having a podcast because there's just so much like creative space and things to learn. You just realize how little you really know. That's it. Like you might think you know a lot. Start a podcast and just see what other people know and you will realize <laughs> how little you actually know. It's it's just incredible. That's a good point. Justin, when can we get together? When can I join one of your conferences or, or masterminds? Because I'm, I know you guys are doing really good work, and I've I've heard from some of the people that are in them that the, the group and the network is incredible, and I got to get a piece of that. Oh, we'd love to have you. It's first of all, I'd love to have you meet up sometime when you're in Austin or mm-hmm. whenever our paths cross in Europe or wherever you might be. But uh, yeah, we can definitely arrange for you to to be part of. Uh, in fact, it'd be fun to even have you share some of your major lessons that you've had doing your podcast on the episode. So you could be part of one, you can run one. Uh, I think that would be really cool. I think our audience would love it. So you're a fellow lifestyle investor. Our lifestyle investors love to hear from other lifestyle investors. So likewise. Yeah. So where should people look you up? So the easiest way is just invest like a boss. Uh, my email is sam at invest like a boss, but we're pretty active there on social. And uh, other than that, if you want, just tune in, subscribe, hang out. And it's a great community, not necessarily just our podcast, but I think the the whole lifestyle investing community that is growing. And there's so many more deals and, and assets to be, to be considering right now. So the crowd and the community are, are ever important. So the more that we can bring that together, the more fun we're going to have and the more returns we're going to make. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. I mean, I feel like we're just getting started. This has been great. I think we're going to need a little bit more or maybe a lot more of Sam Mark. So thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, those of you watching, I just want to end our episode the way I like to end every episode. And that is this. Take some form of action today. Take one step towards moving into a life of financial freedom, a life by design, not by default. What's the one thing you can do today to move one step closer to financial freedom. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. 